So this morning we are returning to our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. And we are in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Beginning in verse 21. Hear now the eternal living word of God. But an opportunity came. Oh, sorry. Wrong. That was chapter 6. <laughs> and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion? And weeping. The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Even a casual 
reading of the Bible would bring you to see that faith is an important concept throughout the whole Bible. The Greek word pistis, which is translated as faith or, or belief, is used around 250 times in the New Testament. But what is faith, biblically speaking? The clearest biblical definition we have of the word faith is given in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Billy Graham once said that faith simply means believing that something is true and then committing our lives to it. In the Bible, he said faith means believing in God and in what Christ has done for us to make our salvation possible and then committing ourselves to him. There would be two aspects of faith then in the Bible. There's the intellectual aspect, the the understanding and believing that something is true. Believing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Believing that all he has done and all that the Bible says he has done, he actually did. Believing that he is God in the flesh, that he lived a perfectly righteous, sinless life. And that through faith in him, through belief in him, he died for your sins. He paid the penalty for all your sins in your place on the cross. And so the first aspect of faith is to believe that all of this is true. But there's also a commitment that is always present in faith in Christ. There's a trusting in Christ that's inherently understood in having a saving faith. It's the act of relying on what you say you believe is true. Faith is the vehicle that God uses to grant salvation. And that is belief in what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished and fully trusting in Jesus for that salvation. But faith also applies to the rest of the Christian life. You're to believe what the Bible says and you are to obey it. You're to believe the promises of God and you're to live accordingly. You're to acknowledge the truth of God's word, and you're to be transformed by it. Our passage this morning comes at the end of a series of stories showcasing the power of Jesus. In the story of the calming of the storm, Jesus shows his power over natural creation. He shows his power over even the wind and the sea. In the story of the demon-possessed man, the man who is possessed by a legion of demons, Jesus shows his power over spiritual creation. He shows his power over Satan and his demons. And in our passage this morning, Jesus shows his power over human illness and death. And he uses this to teach us that the gift of faith is the best response in any situation. Specifically, we see that faith is greater than despair and faith is greater than fear. This morning, the story begins with Jesus returning back to the Galilean side of the Sea of Galilee. So he had crossed over and calmed the storm on his way. Then he cast out a legion of demons out of this demon-possessed man into the pigs And the people there told him to leave, so now he returns to Galilee. 
In verse 21 it says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. When Jesus returns, once again a great crowd gathers around him, and he's again beside the sea. But this time, he's not teaching. Instead, someone approaches him. Starting in verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So here we have one of the rulers of the synagogue, who were mostly Pharisees. He came to see Jesus. His name was Jairus. And when Jairus saw Jesus, he fell down at his feet. And he implored him, it says earnestly, with a sincere intensity and seriousness. And he says, my little daughter is at the point of death. She's not simply ill or sick. She's not even simply dying, but at the point of death. She may only have minutes left. So in an act of desperation, Jairus comes to Jesus. Jesus, whose healing power had made him famous at this point. Jairus may have even seen Jesus heal people himself at this point, but he hasn't chosen to follow Jesus. He probably heard Jesus teach, but hasn't yet received his message in his heart. And so now, as his daughter is about to die, he has no other options. He can no longer keep Jesus at a distance. He's compelled to seek him out and plead for his help. He says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. He shows faith at least in the healing ability of Jesus. And so Jesus goes with him. But they weren't alone on this journey. It says, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So this great crowd that gathered around Jesus, they just went with him as he went with Jairus. And they thronged about Jesus, which means they were pressing in on him as he was going with Jairus. Then in verse 25, A woman enters the scene, and she takes center stage. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. And so now this second story about a woman who had a discharge of blood takes place within the larger story of Jairus and his daughter. And there's a huge contrast between the two people that approach Jesus in these stories. We have Jairus, who would have been a prominent man. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He would have been a man of wealth and prestige, an insider in the religious and social community. But then there's this unnamed woman who would have been an outsider, in a sense. Mark doesn't even give her name to give the contrast between the prominent Jairus, whose name is given. And a discharge of blood rendered you ceremonially unclean under the law of Moses. And because she had this discharge of blood for 12 straight years, she would have been completely outcast from society like a leper. Because for her to touch someone, she would have made them unclean. So she had a husband, she would have been divorced by now. 
she wouldn't have been allowed to go near the temple. She wouldn't even have been able to enter the gates of Jerusalem. She would have had to live alone or she would have made others unclean. She couldn't live with family and friends. Just like a leper, if she saw someone coming near, she would have to cry out, unclean, unclean, so they didn't unwittingly become unclean themselves coming into her presence. And so while the daughter of Jairus seemed to have some kind of acute illness, some severe and sudden onset of illness, this unnamed woman had a chronic illness. She suffered physically and emotionally for 12 years. But Jairus and this woman had one thing in common. They both had a great need. And they both went to Jesus for help as their last hope to be healed at the same time. And so this woman has not only been suffering, but she tried everything to get well. She's gone to many physicians, but they had no answers for her illness. And so she suffered much under the physicians and whatever primitive remedies they convinced her to try. And she spent all of her money trying to get well. Her desperation is clear. So as a last hope, she comes to find Jesus. And she may not have known that the greatness of the object of her final hope, the greatness of Jesus, his power is beyond simply healing her from her physical illness. Jesus has the power to restore her Completely. And so in verse 27, we read, She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So she did have faith in Jesus. She believed he could heal her. But her faith was immature. She thought of the healing power of Jesus with some sort of magic, that it was simply by touching him, even touching his clothing, that she would be magically healed. And she thought she could sneak up through the crowd, touch his garment, and then slip back away into the crowd. And when she touched him, she was instantly healed. It says immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Then an interesting moment takes place in verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Jesus asked who touched him like he didn't know. But we know that Jesus had a divine ability to read even people's thoughts, to know what was going on in their hearts. And so Jesus stops everything to teach both this woman who touched him and Jairus about faith. Jesus takes the opportunity here to point out to the woman what actually happened. It says, And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? His disciples were confused. They wanted to know what Jesus was talking about. There were people everywhere pressing against him. What do you mean, who touched you? Everyone is touching you. And Jesus continued to look for her, waiting for her to present herself. And in verse 33, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the truth. 
And so the woman came to Jesus in fear and trembling, but she told him everything. She overcame this fear, and Jesus is now using this opportunity to develop her faith. In her desperate situation, her faith in Christ is what made her well. Jesus responded to her in verse 34, and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And so what we see in the story of the woman who touched Jesus is that faith is greater than despair. It's her faith that made her well. It's not some magical power of faith. It's the power of the object of her faith. It's the power of Jesus. It wasn't her touching Jesus. It was her faith that made her well. As imperfect as her faith was, Jesus recognizes her genuine faith in the sea of people. And he stops to instruct her. He wants her to know that her faith in him is what healed her. The physicians in her life weren't enough to heal her. The money she had spent wasn't enough to heal her. But she didn't lose all hope. She placed her hope in the only thing she had left, Jesus Christ. And her faith in him restored her health because Jesus is the one who has the power to make the unclean clean again. And because of this, he, he restores her social relationships as well. She can go back into society. She can touch and hug and love any family that she has once again. And she can return to the temple. She can return to the synagogue because the greatest act of healing that Jesus does is restoring her relationship with God. Faith heals those who have it, but in God's timeline. God doesn't heal us on our time or the way we want him to do it. But he ultimately heals all who have faith. It may even be when you return to with him in glory, the ultimate act of healing. Those who place their faith in Christ will one day be without any illness, suffering, pain, or even death through faith in Jesus Christ. God isn't punishing anyone through their illness. And we don't know why he has some people suffer for long periods of time and heals others quickly. But he can and does use your suffering of any kind to grow your faith in Christ. Jesus stops everything he's doing to instruct this woman and make sure she understands that it's her faith in him that is the source of her healing. He healed her through faith, not through magic, not through the touch of her, his garment, but through faith. And the purpose of his instruction and in this whole scene is to grow her faith. The point of this isn't that if you just muster up enough faith, God will heal you the way you want him to, but that through the gift of faith, God heals and restores. In your situation, whatever it may be, God can use it to grow your faith, to grow your trust in him, because trusting in God, trusting in Christ, is really the only reliable answer in suffering and despair. Because your desperation won't save you. Modern medicine can at best only delay your death. And God can not only heal you and restore you, which he will do in his time, but through faith, he will bring you into glory. 
He will remove you from all suffering. And he can also teach you and grow your faith through your suffering and illness. But Jesus was also teaching Jairus here. Through this stopping and teaching the woman who touched him, he wanted to teach Jairus a lesson. We can only imagine what Jairus was going through in his mind at this time. Jesus was on his way to heal his daughter. The hope that Jairus placed in Jesus was working. Jesus was coming with him. But all of a sudden he stops and he starts asking who touched him. Jesus was no longer focused on the daughter of Jairus. This must have been excruciating for Jairus. But then it gets worse. In verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? What would have been left of the hope of Jairus may have been shattered by this statement. Jesus had delayed too long. Jairus' daughter is dead. The people from his house are telling him not even to trouble Jesus any longer. But Jesus hears them telling this to Jairus, and in verse 35, But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Now Jesus gives Jairus the main point of his lesson on faith. Do not fear, only believe. The word translated as believe here is is the Greek word, or the verb form of the Greek word translated as faith. It's the same word. He's saying the same thing to Jairus as he said to the woman. He told her that her faith made her well. Now he's telling Jairus, do not let fear set in. Only have faith. Only believe. Jesus is teaching Jairus and all of us that faith is greater than fear. There are so many circumstances in our lives that can cause us to have fear. But I think Jairus is facing the situation that causes the greatest amount of fear for us. Death. Fearing death is normal. Your own death. The death of a loved one. But Jesus is teaching that faith is the remedy to fear. Trusting in him. Even in the face of suffering. Even in the face of illness. Even in the face of death. Because Jesus Christ is your only hope in life and in death. And having faith in him, trusting him with your life is the way to eternal life. Faith in Christ is the response you need instead of despair, instead of fear. The response is to trust in Christ. Trusting that you, your life, everything you have, everything you are is in the hands of Jesus. Who is all powerful and loving. And good. And any other option you would pursue instead of him is worthless in comparison. So then Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James. John, the brother of James. This was Jesus' inner circle. When Jesus wanted only his closest disciples, he brought Peter, James, and John. And Jairus went with them. And whatever Jairus was feeling, He trusted Jesus enough to continue this mission. And they told him his daughter was dead. But the flame of his hope that Jesus could heal her wasn't yet extinguished. And so we read, starting in verse 38, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, 
Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. So now we see the contrast between the faith of Jairus. Jairus' belief that Jesus could heal his little girl contrasted with the unbelief of pretty much everyone else in the house. They laughed at Jesus. And Jesus doesn't mean that the girl was literally sleeping, but that only her physical body was dead and he could bring her back again. So Jesus puts them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. So he tells the unbelievers to leave so that only his inner circle and the girl's parents were allowed with him. Then we read the actions of Jesus. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Mark records what would have been the original Aramaic spoken by Jesus. And by the word of his power, Jesus commands the little girl to arise, and he brings her back to life. And she was 12 years old, once again contrasting her with the woman who was bleeding. While the woman suffered for 12 years, this little girl most likely lived a normal life for 12 years. But her life changed course in an instant with a sudden illness. But the end of the 12 years of suffering for the woman came sudden hope. Suddenly, with healing through faith in Jesus. And the 12 short years of life for this little girl seemed to have come to a crushing end. But through faith in Christ, her life has been extended. And the witnesses of this miracle were overcome with amazement. Jairus and the woman who touched Jesus had almost nothing in common. He was prominent, wealthy, an insider in the religious and social community. She was an outcast, poor, an outsider in the truest sense. But their desperate situations gave them one thing in common. They both came to the realization that their only hope is Jesus. They both came to the end of what this world could do for them and realized that they needed Jesus. Throughout his gospel account, Mark has been contrasting insiders and outsiders of the kingdom. And here he contrasts two completely different people in the religious and social life of Israel to show you that the only way into the kingdom of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. To be an insider in the kingdom means to have faith in Jesus. Regardless of your station in life, your wealth, your status in society, you enter the kingdom through faith in Jesus. To trust in him completely for your salvation, for your restoration with the whole of your life, coming to faith in Jesus is a daily action. Trusting in Jesus is needed every moment and Jesus will restore you. He will heal you. He will lead you where he wants you to be. He won't do things on your terms. He may not heal you when you want to be healed. He may not take away the difficulty when you want it to be taken away. I'm sure Jairus would have done things differently. 
I doubt he would have had Jesus stop everything on his way to his little girl if he were making the plans. But the ways of Jesus is greater than anything you would do. And so you are to trust in him knowing this, knowing his power. Trust in him knowing that he is your only hope in life and in death. Trust in Jesus knowing that he is the answer to everything that you need. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we come before you helpless creatures, knowing that on our own we are hopeless. But we also know that you have given us a hope, an eternal hope, that we turn to Jesus Christ in faith as our only hope in this world and in death. Father, we ask that you continue to heal us and restore us through faith. Strengthen our faith through any circumstances we may have in our life. That we would grow stronger in our faith and in our trust in you. That we will go wherever you are leading us, knowing that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts than our thoughts. That we will continue to grow, that we have a complete trust in you, in all that we do, and all that we are. And that we give everything over to you for the sake of of your glory and your kingdom. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.